Welcome, everyone. My name is Michael S. Sieber. You're listening to Equal Chance to Be Unequal, my podcast about unlocking human potential through helping people disconnect from their purpose, uncover and live their purpose. Welcome back or welcome to Equal Chance to Be Unequal. Guys, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, episode number 30 about boosting employee morale, I want to thank the folks at AZ BizLink again uh, for having me as a guest uh, to speak in front of their members. Please check out that specific podcast episode. We talked about some highly useful tactics to make employees feel valued, appreciated, respected, uh, which in turn makes the team feel engaged, productive, and profitable. So make sure that you listen to that episode. Today's guest is Aaron Levy, and he is the founder and CEO of Raise the Bar, uh, a team focused on helping companies create high-performing teams by building better leaders. He's the author of Open, Honest, and Direct, a guide to unlocking your team's potential. He's also the host of Open, Honest, and Direct podcast. He's the co-director of Startup Grind Chicago, a Thrive Global contributor, an 1871 mentor, an ICF certified coach, and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. And I'm super excited to have this dialogue today. So with that, Aaron, welcome. Thank you for having me on, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. You are welcome, man. So give us a little bit of context. Tell us a story about a defining moment in your journey, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, a defining moment in my journey was when I was coming home late one night from work and it'd been a long day and, you know, I should have been tired and I was super energized, just super engaged. And I'm, you know, sitting in traffic and I'm blasting music and really, and I was like, what, what's going on here? I've been up since five and it's 10 o'clock at night. What's keeping me so energized? And I started reflecting on what were those what was keeping me energized? And I realized it was the moments throughout the day where I was working directly with people and, and kind of seeing the light bulb turn on for them and seeing them, um, the best word I could use it, use for it was like unlock or release their potential. And I realized I need to be doing more of that. Uh, it, it was, you know, I think that was the spark of the moment. I can't say at that moment, exactly everything changed. I could say, um, there were moments like that and many more that started to spark this curiosity of um, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And uh, that's one that just kind of stands out, um, though I won't, I won't be, be bold enough to say that that's the only moment. Um, over time, I started to explore even more and was able to just identify that the reason I'm here um, is to help people unlock their potential. And if that's what I'm here for, how can I be doing that at a bigger, more powerful level? And that had me start to ask some different questions, start to look at the world differently, started to um, look at what I was doing differently. I love it. And so do you, uh, did you access or talk to a lot of other like mentors or coaches or consultants as you were kind of going through that self-discovery process to figure out like, how do you actually do the unlocking of potential? So uh, we were a coaching and education company. And so we were in the, I spent my career in, in that early part of my career in the study of why do people do what they do, of how do you get someone to go from moving from knowledge to action. And so that part, I had some good learnings from and good experiences. And I'd worked with thousands of leaders prior to that, uh, which really helped me start to hone in on my definition and, and perspective on what actually helps move someone 
uh, to unlock their potential. Great. Yeah, I love that. So using all of that previous context and background that you had, say, hey, here's some frameworks, here's some ideas, here's some things that really give me uh, a peace or a confidence or a safety to know that this is an appropriate future and then say, okay, let's continue to find ways to explore this. Because I guess in my experience and maybe yours as a coach too, Aaron, is that it, it's, you're right. It's not something that happens overnight. People really need a period of time and some introspective kind of self-reflection to understand what is it that's going to work and how do they go about doing that? Would you agree? Yeah. I, I often say uh, to leaders that we work with and clients is small changes taken consistently over time make a profound impact. It's not this like big, massive overhaul of a change that you have to make. And we often think, oh, I got to do it all. No, it, it's these little small wins, small steps. Um, it really is a, a long path and we're constantly learning. So to, to assume that you're going to make a big change and change it all in one fall swoop is uh is usually not setting yourself up for success. Yeah. yeah, well said. It makes me think of Jim Collins' book from the late 90s, Good to Great, and the flywheel concept. And I think our society, we've gotten so focused on projecting a certain image out into the world that we think we must have all of these things that society dis- defines as success. We need to have it quickly or soon, when in reality, it is those small daily habits and rituals that ultimately get us to the thing that we want if we can be grateful enough and enjoy that journey enough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So it, one of the things that I love from your website, um, and everybody should go to raisebar.co and learn a little bit more about Aaron and his work. But what I love is that you have this crazy vision of a workplace where a manager isn't just a manager. He or she is also a coach. Um, and he or she is this person who helps develop the skills and unlocks this this person's potential, like you said a minute ago. And talk a little bit about that. Like, why is that so important to you? Um, you know, I, I, I looked around at my friends um, and I realized that none of them were planning on staying in their job for the next, you know, more than a year or two years. And many had jumped jobs and it didn't matter how much money they made, how cool of offices they had. Um, they just weren't, they weren't staying at their jobs. And I knew that companies wanted to keep their employees and wanted to keep them engaged and, you know, would bring out kombucha on tap and ping pong tables and free LaCroix and all these different benefits and perks to keep their employees, but it wasn't working. And as I was looking around, I realized that the workplace is a place where you spend 75, 80% of your mind share. Um, and I say mind share because even if you're not spending most of your time there, you're checking your phone or when you're not checking your phone, you're thinking about work. And so for so many of us, so much of, of our life is consumed in our work. And, and I don't think that's a terrible thing at all. However, the workplace can often suck. <laughs> um, and the workplace can suck because your manager usually sucks. Most managers suck. Um, and the reason they suck is not because they're, they're bad, they want to be bad. It's because they're promoted because they're good at what they do. They're promoted because they're top performers, not because they're leaders of people. And those skill sets are very different. And that, to me, I signified a, a flaw in the way in which we promote managers, but also in the way in which we support them with the tools and skills to be better leaders. And you know, th- at the essence of it is, if you have managers that can be better leaders, managers that can listen, that can ask powerful questions, that can communicate clearly and directly and hold critical conversations, realizing that feedback is a gift, what you have is a group of managers who are coaches. And when they're coaches, they can then unlock the potential of their people. And so I thought, what what better place than the workplace to start to unlock the potential of your people? Because there is 
um, incentive on all sides to do it. There are financial incentives, there are you know, business incentives, there's so all of that lines up really well as opposed to hitting someone outside of the workplace and saying, hey, let's go, let's unlock your potential, let's do a weekend workshop. Um, and then they have to go back into the workplace to their shitty manager. And so I figured, why don't we start where the where the problem could have the biggest impact, which is the managers and the leaders that touch multiple lives on a daily basis. I completely agree. And it makes me think of Gallup's State of the American Workplace and the the various statistics they have around engagement and, and happiness and open communication, many of those things. And uh, I completely agree with you, Aaron. There's, there's so... There's so much value connected to the kind of the boss direct report relationship that we as a society haven't really done a great job of focusing on. And I think that building someone's emotional intelligence or building someone's capacity to coach and ask the right questions or building someone's capacity to be empathetic for another person close to him or her, uh, because we're all going to be going through things in life um, regardless, right? And and it's about building the, the quality of those relationships and making them so good that people want to stay at work because they feel heard and accepted and uh, trusted or respected, right? Isn't it? So to me, that's just crazy that um, we as society haven't really done a great job of developing leaders in that way, or that somehow or another society got moved away from that as being the thing that, that mattered. Um, So I don't know, maybe your and my work will, will be very, very helpful in that and trying to find a way to get people to really view those relationships in a very, very deep and meaningful way to really help leaders become coaches purposely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think about uh, another thing that I was kind of looking at um, with regards to your content and the things that you're doing, right? You've got essentially five kind of core values. Maybe we talk a little bit about that. And I'll I'll just list the five for those listening, uh, because I think that they're really important for all of us to consider, whether it's for you as an individual or for uh, your organization. And like number one, standing in your commitment. Number two, embracing the beginner's mind. Number three, doing the next hard thing. Number four, acting with authenticity and humility. And number five, having fun. So if you don't mind, Aaron, would you pick one or two of those and kind of talk through a few examples of how those have manifested for you or maybe somebody on your team or even for your clients? Yeah. One of the one of the really important things that I think about when I think about core values or team agreements is another another way to think about them is that they're just phrases or words. And they mean nothing unless you have tangible actions that can be behind them. So for example, doing the next hard thing, what that means at raise the bar is it means you make mistakes. You challenge yourself. But you don't just challenge yourself and make mistakes. You actually learn from them too. And so it's very, very easy for us to hold each other accountable to that value. Um, I have a coach, Shiri, who she she reached out to me the other day. She goes, oh, Aaron, I, I, uh, I think I made a mistake. Um, I did something that you might be mad about and the client might be mad about, but uh, I thought it was the right thing to do, so I did it. And um, I smiled because – she was standing in our agreement of doing the next hard thing, of getting out of her comfort zone, of challenging herself. And what she actually did wasn't a mistake. It was something that the client uh, really appreciated and really needed to hear. Um, in our work with leaders, we have to be, uh, we got to be honest and we have to hold the mirror up for them. And so that's something that she did in a way that could have, uh, in her mind, damaged a client relationship that was a, you know, a 
a big client. Um, and in actuality, what it did is only deepen the client relationship. And so I celebrated her for that. I said, way to go challenging yourself. And you know what, if it became a mistake and it was something that, you know, cost us with the client, then it's a mistake and you learn from it. Uh, what I would have been more concerned about is if she didn't get out of her comfort zone or if she made a mistake and made it two or three times, that means she's not learning from that mistake. Brilliant example, right? When we think about human patterns and so learning from something experientially once super valuable, um, but doing that thing repeatedly, uh, that is a pattern and, and that would be then challenging, right? Because we we're not learning the things that we're supposed to. So, okay. Doing the next hard thing is awesome. Is there another value there that really stands out or you have a good example from? Um, act with authenticity and humility. It's one of those where usually with a group of leaders, I have them raise their hand if they think, uh, you know, raise your hand if you think a great leader has all the answers. And inevitably, no matter how many rooms I'm in, you know, 1% of people raise their hand, which means 99% of people believe that great leaders don't have all the answers. And so the next thought is, well, if you don't think that a great leader has all the answers, then why do you think you have to have all the answers as a leader? Um, and, you know, you mentioned Jim Collins, good to great. And I think that's one good example. And good to great, they talk about the best CEO and leader is one who is uh, quiet, contemplative, measure three times, cut once. Then you think about the Steve Jobs who's kind of like the jerk. And you think about the, you know, the brash Elon Musk. And you, you think about all these different types of leaders. Right? I got to be loud or I got to be quiet. And, and what I often say is um, the best leader you can be is, is the leader that you are. Um, is being your authentic self, which means being a little humble, being vulnerable. Um, you know, vulnerability is is how you endear people to you. Vulnerability is where growth happens, um, and vulnerability takes uh, courage and getting out of your comfort zone too. And so that's what we ask uh, our team to do. That's what I ask myself to do on a daily basis, and that's what we ask any leaders or clients that work with us, which is show up as yourself. Uh, you know, there's no need to put a mask on. Uh, to come into work today. And that is so hard for folks to do, but it's such a brilliant strategy, I think, Aaron, and thank you for sharing that, is that when people really do show up as themselves, it, it kind of this like Brene Brown daring greatly and her Netflix special and all these things uh, really comes down to the more authentic we are, the, the faster it is to kind of find uh, those deeper, more meaningful relationships. And I don't remember where I heard it or read it, uh, but recently I heard this phrase or this idea that we can build deep and meaningful relationships by quickly finding uncommon commonalities amongst the people uh, that we're talking to. So it's not just uh, like a traditional conversation where we're talking about the weather or we're talking about, you know, something traveled related or you know, whatever. It's this deeper thing of really diving into and understanding something that you have in common with a person over a long period of time in your past. And I just love that that, that reframe exists. So another one of your values is centered around having fun. Like how do you get, your clients to do that, right? To have fun in an otherwise pretty stressful environment. Well, specifically, and, and whenever we are together, we usually get up and do uh, a little bit of exercise. Um, we make fun of ourselves. We give each other high fives. Uh, those things, you know, all lead to people smiling. Uh, you play some music. They're simple things that get us to smile. You know, do you ever see people dancing that aren't smiling? Uh, Dancing seems to get you to smile too. So I'm a terrible dancer. I don't do that. I do high fives more than I do dancing. But um, any of those things really get you to smile. And, and I think the other probably more, even more component, uh, more important component of having fun that we talk about is assume positive intent. And what that means is just realize that we're all doing our best. Um, 
no one's trying to hurt you or harm you. Everyone's trying to do their best. And so when we assume that, then maybe you don't read into an email saying, I can't believe she did that to me. I can't believe he said that and, and realize that he probably didn't mean it to hurt you. And she probably wasn't saying it to make your day worse. Um, assume that she's, you know, she's doing her best to work towards the same goal that you're working towards. I completely agree. It makes me think of, I think his name is Albert uh, Marabian at uh, UCLA psychologist there and talks about how uh, 7% of human communication is the actual uh, spoken or written word. And 38%, I think is the person's tone of voice and 55% is uh, nonverbal cues. And that's why I think text messaging and emails and things like that are so hard because we tend to make a lot of inferences about what it is that the individual is saying without really getting the full picture of their communication because we can't see them or we can't hear the tone of their voice. And so by assuming positive intent or ingraining that as a, as a belief pattern or structure, it makes it a heck of a lot simpler for us to not go down a rabbit hole where a lot of problems may occur. Uh, so I think that that's tremendous advice. Have you had to talk anybody off a ledge in that way, Aaron, before? Constantly. We all fall into that trap. Um, we all play stories of what we think is happening or we don't think is happening. And, um, uh, you know, almost on a daily basis with a client or with a friend or with myself, uh, it's what assumptions are, am I making or what assumptions are you making about this situation? And when you ask yourself that and you say, well, I don't know if this is an assumption or not, then you should just ask. Um, so it's really engaging in conversation with other people as opposed to assuming you know what they meant or assuming you know their intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's hard. And do you have any like strategies that you would consider asking folks like clients or uh, even members of your team? Like how do they start that difficult conversation? Is there something that gives them the confidence to try? So if it's a difficult conversation, you know, I really, I actually, we do uh, one part of our boot camp training is on difficult conversations and, and kind of walking through the steps. So uh, that's like a whole four hour or five hour um, conversation unto itself. However, uh, I think the, the couple biggest things that I, I think you can take away from that are one being, what's the purpose of your conversation with this other person? What are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to just have yourself be heard or are you trying to have something be different as a result? Usually it's, I want our relationship to work better, or I want them to tell me when they're going to be late on a deadline or, you know, whatever that or is, uh, what do you want to be different as a result of the conversation, right? Saying, I want this person not to be such an asshole. Uh, what does that really mean, right? Does that mean I want that person to ask me more questions as opposed to putting down my ideas? That's a real outcome that you want. Um, and so when we talk about outcomes that you want, it's not someone else's way of being. It's actually what action do you want them to be doing differently? Because if I said, Michael, I want you to stop being such an asshole, you'd be like, well, what does that mean? What does asshole mean to Aaron? Right? I'm not being an asshole. And so it's getting really clear on what do you want them to do and what actions do you want them to be different? Before you even start the conversation, have an idea of what you want to be different. Which is powerful. And most people likely won't take that time for reflection or f to find a way to seek clarity. Right. In some way, their amygdala probably has been hijacked or their limbic system is off in some capacity. And so they're not thinking really, really clearly about how to bring it back to something that's really 
unemotional and objective. And so great advice on your behalf, Aaron, is to bring them back to something that is truly actionable or objective. Because I think that, that that's where most people, you know, kind of get going. I I love the, this idea of really thinking about purpose. And I always like to be able to think about how do we give somebody 24, 48, 72 or more hours ahead of time to like really truly think about what the conversation might entail. Um, and if I'm not mistaken on your website, Aaron, there was a download for difficult conversations, like a, a 10 or 11 page book or something that people could download and, and thumb through to walk them through difficult conversations. Yeah, correct? it's absolutely correct. Um, we, we have this conversation all the time and people say, how do I do it? So we put together an ebook. Um, yeah, and it's just a, it's, it's a couple of pages and yeah, you can download it. It pops up on the website or it's on the homepage of racebar.co um, where it walks through those steps. Um, and definitely the first one, which comes and shows its head a bunch of times throughout the process is how do you, ha- how do you get clear on what you want to get out of the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I downloaded the book over the weekend and oh, cool. uh, was going through it. And I was like, yeah. So thank you for uh, offering that. And for me, it's fantastic because I, I think our work is relatively similar, uh, in how we end up supporting those we serve. And I just love uh, the strategies and the ideas that you have in there because it, it was so easy to walk through linearly that it made it really simple for my brain to think about, okay, how would I apply this to some of the clients that I'm serving and the struggles that they're experiencing? So thank you well, for Well, you're offering. welcome. I'm glad it was of use. It's great to hear. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. So we think about um, uh, a number of things that, that leaders have to do, what they have to become. Um, how they can best interact with the vendors and clients and staff. And I, I just posted something on social media a couple of days back with regards to um, employees first, customers second, uh, to kind of like strike somebody to say, hey, let, let's really think about the relationships that exist at work. And I think that there are really specific habits that people can utilize when they're working to be a better leader. And I know you have some essential habits that you think are important. Can you talk to us a little bit about those four essential habits, like what they are and, and why they matter? Yeah. Um, I mean, let me, so the way I think about them is I first started thinking about what do great leaders do? Uh, like great leaders are masters at motivating people, inspiring people. They're great at evaluating people, situations, teams. They're really powerful communicators. And they also realize that in order to lead others, they really need to serve. Um, because they need their people to be at their best to deliver uh, at at their best as a leader. And yet none of those things are things, like none of those are action-based. You don't go motivate. That's not an action that you do on Monday morning. Um, And so what I wanted to find out was what are the actions that these leaders take which would produce those outcomes? So what action taken consistently over time, which is what we call a habit, right? An action taken consistently over time would produce the outcome of motivating your people. And that action is actually listening with intention, not attention. So the way we think about our leadership boot camp is we think about how do we develop each of these skills so strong and so that they become habits. The first one is listening with intention, not attention. The second one is asking powerful questions as a means to evaluate people, situations, teams to dig deeper, to really understand. And we're constantly evaluating in our own heads. But when we start leading others, we need to evaluate out loud. We need to ask questions of the other people on our team or of our clients or of the project to figure out and challenge our own assumptions. Uh, Because that's when we 
really dig deeper and get better answers. Um, the, the third skill that I think is, is quite important is open, honest, and direct communication. Um, it's, it's being authentic. It's being vulnerable. It's being humble and being direct. Um, kind of like a sports team where, you know, Tom Brady is not going to wait a week to send an email to his wide receiver for not moving over or shifting over. He's going to yell at his wide receiver and say, move over. Um, and, and yet we wait weeks or months or wait till performance reviews to give someone else on our team feedback. Um, and it's like playing basketball in the dark. No one would do it because it's, it's not fun. We don't get feedback on what's working and what's not working. And so it's really important to get clear and give people clarity, uh, openly, honestly, directly on what's working, what's not working. Um, the foundation of it is giving psychological safety to your people and giving, uh, clarity to your people. And so that's, that's one of the skills that we work on is how do you actually deliver open, honest, and direct communication? And then the last skill is holding critical conversations. That is a skill. It's a practice. The more you do it, the better you get at having those critical, difficult conversations with team members, family members, um, clients, whoever it is, investors, any key stakeholders. Um, it takes practice. And so like any of these skills that we talk about, we really want to make sure that there is deliberate practice built in so that they're, they're strengthened and they're developed and they're honed and you're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to fall off the bike and scrape your knee and you're going to say this sucks and then you're going to have to get back up again and figure out what didn't work. Um, and that progress takes time and takes effort. Uh, but that's where we really talk about it's not just understanding the the skills and the habits, but it's about developing them into habits in your daily life as a leader. No doubt. Yeah, I think that's a really challenging thing for, for folks to do uh, unless they have incentives around them to, to really do that. You, you were talking about communication, right? One of these kind of essential habits, if you will, around communication, being open, honest, and direct and offering immediate feedback in the, the term psychological safety. Would you mind describing psychological safety a little bit more? I love the phrase and I love Google's research around it, but I, I just love to hear your angle or perspective. Yeah. On that. Psychological safety is, is essentially the idea that if you speak up, if you say something, you're not going to be humiliated. You're not going to be made fun of. You're not going to be immediately shut down. Um, and it's really important to giving people the ability to feel like they can um, speak up at a meeting. They can say something that the best way I describe it is it's like the lack of psychological safety is, is when you feel like you're going to work and you don't know what you can or can't say because you don't know who you're going to piss off. Um, it's like you're walking through a, a field of landmines and you're constantly worried about which landmine are you going to step on. And that's what the lack of psychological safety is where you're not sure what's okay to say, what's not okay to say, and you're trying to be politically correct. and and when you do that, you're constricting your thoughts, you're limiting your uh, perspectives, and you're shutting down ideas, not just in your own brain, but of sharing to the team. And that is limiting the diversity of perspectives and ideas. Um, and that's limiting the potential of your team. In so many ways. And I, I love that you said that. And so for folks listening, right, we, we have to create an environment as leaders that anybody that says anything on the team, regardless of what the comment is, right, so that they do not feel like they're going to be humiliated uh, or that they come in with such a mental or emotional or spiritual or psychological safety that they don't feel like they're walking on eggshells. 
And I think that's probably one of the best things that we can do as leaders is to create that trusted and respected environment that allows for that. So I, I love what Aaron is saying right around these four habits, right? Motivate, evaluate, communicate, and serve. And those are great in and of themselves, but going down into each of them and saying, here's how this becomes really tangible and actionable for you, right? To be great at motivating, you must be great at listening with intention and attention. To be great at evaluation, really, it's about those how, what, and why questions you become fantastic at asking repeatedly of your team. Or communicate, right? Going back to what Aaron said around open and direct and honest communication, right? That psychological safety that you create in your people, powerful. Uh, or even in being in service, right? In these critical conversations that we have to really help someone advance, uh, super duper meaningful. So Aaron, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're, you're very, very welcome. It's, uh, it's something that I, it's why I do what I do. And I love that. So I, uh, me too. And I think there's a lot of, um, times in my past where I've worked corporate jobs or other jobs where the, the leader just wasn't a true effective communicator and really wasn't willing to adjust his or her style to mine. Or I guess then I got kind of turned off and wasn't able to communicate back to him or her effectively. And so these little things that you're talking about, they really don't cost anything per se, but if we can learn the skill to be able to do it and then repeat it, it's very engaging to any person around us in a very deep, meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, these, these efforts cost far less than, uh, traditional efforts of like, uh, free lunches or a brand new, beautiful office. Now all those things are nice and they all help to engage and retain talent, but not nearly at the level of, uh, having real leaders who can have real conversations with their people, give open and honest feedback and, um, realize that that feedback is a gift. That feedback is helping somebody else grow and develop. Yeah. Well said. I, I remember seeing a statistic somewhere, and I, I apologize. I don't remember where I heard it or saw it, but something to the effect of that when an individual chooses to leave an organization uh, of whomever was surveyed, 78% of them or 78% of the decision was because of the relationship he or she had with their leader. And like, that's a really, really large percentage. Have you seen things that are similar, Aaron, or no? Yeah, this, I mean, this, I don't even look at data anymore for this just because it's, it's been around for so long. People don't leave companies, they leave their bosses. Um, you know, that's a majority of the time, that's what's happening. And so it's just, you can ask anybody who stayed at their company for a long time, they probably have a, a mentor or a boss who has supported them and been there for them. Um, and the people who have left usually don't have that. And so that is, yeah, that's something I see all the time and it's fairly consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So you mentioned a couple of times the uh, the workshop or the boot camp that you're going to be hosting in August, September of 2019. And so Habits of a Leader, this boot camp that you're facilitating in Chicago, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about maybe the challenges or maybe the pains that some of the leaders that would be considering coming to your program, like what are they experiencing at work? And then how does the boot camp go through and kind of solve those challenges or pains for them? Yeah. So what they're experiencing at work is um, a whole different slew of things. We have leaders, senior leaders, CEOs of companies who are coming to try and figure out how do I unlock my team's potential? I have a team full of doers and I need a team full of leaders. How do I be, how do I get better at that myself? We have leaders who are coming there to build their confidence 
We have leaders that are coming there to figure out how do I have better conversations with my team, with my people, uh, so that our department is not so siloed. We have leaders that are there right now because they want to figure out how do we retain our talent? Because what we're doing isn't working. And when we lose talent, that's costing us time, energy, money. And it's also costing me years of my life because of the stress that's coming from it. And so it's in the broadest sense, there are leaders coming together from different organizations of different sizes at different levels in their career and different stages in their company who all want to be better at leading, who all want to be better at engaging and leading and managing their people. And that's the commonality amongst them. And that's uh, what we really focus on is, is coming into it where you're at. Um, and then each person has their own dedicated leadership coach that they get to work with. They put their own growth plan together. And so no matter where you're at in the training, you pick your starting point and you pick the goal that you want to achieve from the training so that each person can really make sure that they get what they need out of it. Right. One came and said, I have this direct report who in his interview had all these amazing things that he, he said he could do. And now he's not doing any of them. He's not showing me any of that. And it's like, it's a different person than, than who I interviewed. And my boss is saying we probably should fire him and I don't want to. Um, I want to give him another chance. I feel like it might be partially me that's not doing a better job. And so by the end of the training, uh, this leader had emailed me and said, uh, Chris is doing amazing. He's really picked up his game. And I think we're in a much, not I think, I know we're in a much better place. And my boss actually commended both of us in our last meeting. And that's just an example of, you know, a small little specific change of a, an individual on his team not performing. And he realized that maybe there's something in that lack of performance that has to do with me. Um, so he was willing to be vulnerable. No doubt. And I think that that's really where the the most learnings uh, in our lives can come from uh, or the most clarity around the future can come from, right? Because when you kicked off our podcast, you talked about, you know, coming home from work late one night and through kind of the introspection or reflection uh, and maybe some vulnerability with yourself, there was some clarity around, oh my gosh, like I need to be unlocking other people's potential. And so Chris's story is kind of ish similar uh, in that way. It's like just with a little bit of vulnerability, just a little bit of awareness of how we contribute to others in in good and bad ways, right? There's a lot of clarity that then comes for that for self-growth for us, but also for growth for other people. And I just think that's fantastic. So how do you make sure that Anybody who goes through the boot camp, how do you make sure that, you know, weeks or months down the road that they're really applying it? Do you have some methodologies or ways to check in with them just to make sure that there's true application occurring? We That's designed into the boot camp. So um, we, it's not just a day or two days of training. It is, um, it's a whole series of work that they're doing with us. So from their application that they send in through their intake form that they complete, even before they come in, we're priming their brain to get really clear on the learning that they want to achieve, not just the learning, but the, the growth and development they want to achieve. And they come in for a full day of training where we practice and learn and really apply the two skills of listening with intention and attention, asking powerful questions. But then they have to go and apply that in their real life work scenarios. And they have homework assignments that force them to do that. And so with the homework assignments, they're practicing what they're learning. They're, you know, taking the training wheels off their bike and they're going for a ride and they're seeing what happens and they're falling and scraping their knee. And then they're getting on a call with their coach. And so in between boot camp, boot camp session, boot camp day one, 
um, and Bootcamp Day 2, which are about four to five weeks apart. They have two coaching sessions, two homework assignments, and they're completing a Leadership 360. And then they come back for Bootcamp Day 2, and we practice creating, how do you create a space of psychological safety? And how do you deliver open, honest to our communication? And how do you hold critical conversations? And after day two, they have two more homework assignments, two more coaching sessions. And then four to five weeks after all of that, they have a graduation session. And so all of that is built in. It happens over the course of about three months so that the encouragement, the support, the feedback, the checking in, the failing and starting over are all happening within the course of our work together. And that's how we kind of ensure that they develop the habits and skills. And then many of our boot camp leaders end up continuing their work with their coach um, as a way to maintain the work that they're doing and continue to develop in the areas that they want to develop in. I love it. I, I'm a process guy, if you haven't already uh, figured that out, but I love that there's a very intentional application offering the full day of training couple things of homework, couple coaching sessions. Let's do a 360 so that there's really significant self-awareness. Another full day of training, two more things of homework, two more coaching sessions, and then like a graduation ceremony. I think it's a beautiful model, Aaron. So kudos to you and your team for coming up with it and finding a way to make the learning deeply experiential because I can only imagine the way that somebody would come into the boot camp and then, you know, X number of weeks later, they come out of it likely a very different person. So kudos to you for defining that and coming up with it and now having so much success with it. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, we, we started doing it internally with companies and because our, a lot of our clients were growing companies where they'd hire new leaders and they'd promote new leaders and they said, hey, what happens if we have a new leader and, you know, we don't just put on one person training. So we started to do the boot camp um, and it's become this, fun, rewarding, engaging um, part of the work that we do at Raise the Bar that it's just fun having a group of, you know, 10, 12 leaders from seven different companies at all different ranges in their, in their leadership careers um, come together with some vulnerability and all with the same desire to be better as leaders. Um, it's, it's fun to see what comes out of that. No doubt. Yeah, there's so much camaraderie that gets established and built, and then the learning is just even grown from there because they feel that there are other people going through something very similar for themselves, so they feel empowered to be able to, to do more of that. Um, so the best place for our audience to join you on your journey, Aaron, where is that? Like, Where should we find you? Yeah, uh, I think the best place is raisebar.co, and you can find out all about our boot camp. You can reach out to me directly there. Uh, I think, that's, yeah, that's the best place. R-A-I-S-E-B-A-R dot C-O. Awesome. And so, guys, from my experience over the last couple of weeks in prepping for this, um, his speaking page, when you go to raisebar.co, the speaking page is fantastic. Uh, there's some great video there, kind of like keynote examples, things that he has done uh, on stage for, for other organizations. Um, Aaron and his team also have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn accounts, uh, which are uh, I'll put them in the show notes for this particular show, but you can also get links to them on his website. Um, and I just want to honor you, Aaron. There's obviously a number of things that you're doing to really get people back to a place where they can feel engaged and happy at work. And I think that that's really powerful that there's so many things that we can do to solidify the manager to employee relationship, because if we are going to be spending 70 to 80% of our day, right, or of our week or of our month or of our life, and that mindshare does exist at work, 
it's really important that that we are happy there or that we're engaged there or that we're doing things that really matter. And it really comes down to finding all of these things that we can do from assuming positive intent or listening very, very effectively, or it's asking the right questions, or it's giving feedback immediately so that you know behavior can be corrected, or if it's having the right conversations, or if it's finding a way to generate value for, for someone. Uh, there's so many ways that that happens. And I just want to, to honor you and your work in making sure that that happens for the people that you serve, because it's a really critical component to gratitude, to gratefulness, to people, you know, becoming the most authentic versions of themselves, to people unlocking their own potential. So kudos to you, Aaron, for you and your team for doing such important work. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. This was uh, this is a really fun conversation. Good. Yeah. And thank you. And, and so thank you to Aaron. So everybody make sure that you visit raisebar.co. I'll put the uh, links in the show notes. And, and with that, I'll bring this particular podcast to a close. Thank you again, Aaron, for, for being my guest and for everybody listening. A lot of great dialogue and conversation around what do we do to have you know, open and honest and, and direct conversation. So with that, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I'm Michael S. Siever. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and like, share, or comment on this podcast on michaelssiever.com, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. Go forth and be awesome.